Hey everyone, welcome to Disrupting Our Practice. I'm Shannon Patterson. And I'm Greg Flynn. This podcast is for white-bodied leadership and organization development consultants, facilitators, coaches, and trainers. This is a weekly podcast dedicated to the exploration of how we practitioners can disrupt our practices. Those practices where we are unwittingly perpetuating racism, oppression, and harm. And it's all in service to being able to co-create a culture of equity, justice, and healing. So we live in a world that truly works for everyone. Thanks for joining us as we work to disrupt our practice. Hi, Shannon. Hey, Greg. So I think this week we decided we are going to talk about positionality. Yes, we did. Okay. Well, before we do that, we'll leave everyone wondering, positionality, what's that? But let's check in. Uh, And we do this practice of checking in, you know, just so we can get present. I mean, this is part of the disruption. I think that we, not I think, I know. I don't, it's an invitation to drop the mask of professionalism and, you know, I have my shit together and be able to be real about what's happening in mm-hmm. in my life and what's happening in your life and you know deep in relationships so that we can we can be there for one another right and what's true so um to check in you know we typically ask each other like how are you doing mentally physically emotionally and spiritually and mm-hmm. so I'd love to hear you know how you're doing and how you're entering our time together today. But I want to add a layer, maybe as you settle into the part where you're checking in with your body is just, how's your nervous system? Mm. So let's just take a moment and both of us can settle. And then when you're ready, you can, can check in. Yeah, thanks, Shannon. I'm appreciating that layer. It's It's actually the first time I'm intentionally checking in with my nervous system this morning. So or today rather. So, um, yeah, so I am feeling coming in physically, I'm feeling pretty good, pretty grounded and open and loose in my major joints, shoulders and hips. Um, can feel my, my body and the weight of my body in the chair pretty well, not noticing any major contractions, but that said, I'm also noticing a little bit of activation in the nervous system. And I think that might be related to our, the little fun we had before we actually recorded this because we were made some goofs. And, um, <laughs> so I think that might've just kind of, I got my nervous system not activated in a bad way, but just, I can feel it moving and operating. Um, mentally I'm feeling much better after having had this time, you know, a little bit of time, um, to connect with you about some other work stuff and sort out some of the stuff that was going on in my head. That was really helpful. Um, so thank you for that. Um, and emotionally I'm feeling good and grounded. Um, although I do feel a little bit of a, like a little thing right over my heart. Um, and I'm not quite sure I can label an emotion on it, but it just feels a little bit like there's something tender there Mm. that's present. And from a spiritual perspective, I would say I'm, I'm feeling a lot of the sunshine outside the, you know, the, um, the, this, these Seattle summer days have made, um, made everything kind of feel a little bit more open. And so I'm feeling that today. Hmm. Yeah. 
with that, I'm in and I'd love to hear how you're doing. Mm. Thanks for that check-in, Greg. I, I um, appreciate knowing just there's a little, little flutteriness in your nervous system and a little tenderness um, around your heart. That feels like an important thing to know. Um, and I'm glad spending some time together helps settle. I just love mm. that about our relationship. Mm. I generally mm -hmm. feel that to be true with you too. Yeah, um, it feels important in this work, all our work, but especially here too. Um, yeah, the, the nervous system, when I, when I slow down and connect even, you know, for just those couple of seconds, it is different than checking in with my body. You know, my body right. feels mm -hmm. pretty, pretty grounded. I slept well, had pretty relaxing morning. So in that way, I feel like present in here and not too, uh, distracted by physical stuff. My nervous system is a little fluttery. And I think beyond like the goof ups earlier, like, um, I don't know. I feel like I'm just, the world is asking a lot. And so my nervous system mm -hmm. is just sort of like, I listened to the news this morning. So I feel a little like hyper, hyper stimulated. And I think that relates to just spiritually feeling, just feeling it's hard when I listen to the news to not feel despairing and it feels important to be in touch with the world around me. Um, and I also, I want to be in touch with the world in different ways too, that also fill me up. Uh, but so mentally I'm feeling pretty, pretty here. Our little organization around kind of our work ahead and stuff was really helpful. And um, emotionally, Yeah, I'm feeling um, just feeling good energy for the week. Mm -hmm. So I have a good friend coming into town, and I'm um, excited for that. So, yeah, I'm I'm here. I'm ready. Let's mm. talk about positionality. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, it's a um, it's definitely a rich conversation to have. Um, thank you for that check in, Shannon. It's yeah, it's always good to hear your framing of your experience. Um, yeah. So what, what is on top for you when it comes to positionality? Is there something that's like top of mind? Well, I mean, first I feel like there's a part of me that's like, we should start with a definition. <laughs> uh, and as I'm realizing, uh, sitting here, it's not in, it's not in the few notes that we took. So I don't know if you want to look one up. Um, I, I don't know that I would use a, a dictionary definition mm. just yet. I, I think, here's what I would say about it is, and it's something that I, I feel like it's something I'm still coming to unpack and understand. Me too. Um, the first time I really encountered the concept of it, at least it definitely is presented by our teachers, but like in, in this work in a lot of ways was through our work with holistic resistance. Um, and, you know, and especially in the facilitator training, I would say, but, um, the way I understand it and the way I understand them to be talking about it, Aaron Johnson in particular, um, is a couple, a couple of different things, right? There's like kind of this intersection of things. And one is, is like from an external standpoint, how, like, how is it that any one of us, like myself, how am I experienced by other people? Right. And so when they, when I walk into a room without ever saying a word, what, what, what is the experience that they have of me? I'm six foot four. I'm a large guy. I'm, I'm white bodied. You know, I, 
I, I have a beard. Um, you know, I, depending on how I'm dressed, that's going to express some things. Um, and so there's all this stuff that's like the visible aspect of it. And, and that, you know, meets other people's positionality and has a certain kind of impact. Then there's like the internal aspect of it, which has to do with how I see myself and how I experience myself. And a lot of that has to do with my, my background and, and my known background, but it also has to do with my unknown or unseen background, meaning the aspects of conditioning and, and, and parts of, the, of, of life that sh helped shape who I am and helped shape my understanding of the world and my understanding of my place in the world. Right. And, and some of that stuff is, is obvious. And some of that I don't think is quite as obvious as I once thought it was, or I, you know, I, I've come to realize, um, I should say. So that's mm -hmm. some, that's a, like, that's kind of step into a, a definition. I'm curious what you would add or change. Yeah. I think I would just add, you know, those, um, some of the, I think you're talking on many layers, knowing you about the more invisible mm -hmm. internal things, you know, but I also think about those invisible things, um, you know, about socioeconomic status, which can be mm -hmm. sort of made visible through, you know, how we're, how we're entering a room, like as a facilitator or, mm -hmm. you know, how we're dressed, um, or our education or, um, you know, other things, not so obviously, a lot of the time, like religion and ability, you know, because you could come across as quite able-bodied, but there might be other ways yep. in which, you know, you're struggling. So I think about about all of those things, too, that aren't visible. And, you know, I just think a lot about, I mean, I've told this story to you a million times, but it just, I remember the very cognitive understanding of positionality, mm -hmm. right? Oh, and the other thing is how those those different aspects of our positionality locate us closer or further to power, right? To power yes. and privilege. Yes. Um, so that's very important in our practice of practitioners, right? Where we are frequently in positions. I mean, we are by default, if we're white bodied, usually in positions of power and privilege, but then sometimes even more so as the facilitator, the trainer, the consultant, you know, we, we have a lot of power in those roles as practitioners. So I, I think of that. And then I didn't know if this was the place to tell kind of the, the, the story of when I got this in my body like mm. with Aaron. Should I share that here? Start there, yeah. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah. So it was moving from this whole cognitive thing, which I feel like I'm sort of beginning to understand, though, like you said, there's so much to it, um, especially how my... I was conditioned by all of those things I just mentioned, conditioned me to see the world and to see different people of color. Um, but I remember working with Aaron Johnson. And so I'm, uh, you know, middle-aged white woman with shoulder length blonde hair. And, you know, I wear glasses a lot. And I remember him saying like, just seeing you, your kind of archetypal positionality you know, I'm always a little activated in my body, mm -hmm. you know? And I was like, I don't know, it just thudded in my body, you know, what it was like for him, you know, mm -hmm. to experience me. Cause I don't think of myself as 
a dangerous person. So it was the first time I really began to understand, yeah, the, the danger and harm just inherent in me being in a room and what yeah. that does to people's nervous systems. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that just really was like, oh, yeah, this is. Yeah, especially when you're we're in a role in which you know, our, our primary job in a lot of ways as, especially if we're facilitating, right. If we're holding space of some kind, our primary job is to create a space that is safe enough for people to have the conversation that they're to have, that they are there to have, right. That is, or even the conversation that they're not there to have, (laughs) like the, the fundamentally necessary conversation. And I think, I think for myself, for a long time, I lived with this idea of like, as long as I am, you know, a grounded person, am a good person, and I have good intention, then I can't. I it will be. It won't be that much of a stretch for me to create that kind of a space. I can, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't really matter who's in the room. And I think what I've come to learn is, and through this and like that kind of a story, and I have a similar one with Aaron where he, he told me um, he was driving by his, at, near his home down in Southern California and he came around the corner and there was like a, a gas station. And at the gas station, there was like a, a SWAT team that was getting like gearing themselves up, getting ready to go and do a raid or something. And one of the guys there, one of the cops that was there, he's like, he was like, I did a double take. Cause I was like, that's Greg, that's Greg. And he saw me and he was like, and, and when I, he said, when I saw you, when I saw this guy, I saw you, but not just like your physical body, but like your energy. He's like, and that's how I experience you. And it just mm. floored me. Cause I was like, wait, what, <laughs> you know, I, I'm not a cop. Like I'm not a SWAT team guy. Like I'm and people who know me, like would never think of that me to be like that. Right. And, but he was like, actually there's something about the energy in the interface with your positionality mm-hmm. that has me have as it's a similar kind of reaction, right? He's like going to have a little bit of guard. And if that's true for Aaron right now, we don't want to make, I don't want to make the assumption that that's true for everybody. Right. Um, but if that's true for him, it's likely to be true for other people in some context, some way. And therefore, like you were saying, just by walking in the room, something gets set up that yes that becomes a that becomes an obstacle between me and my ability to actually create the safe space that I want to create and the, you know how we get past that right how do we actually do the work of creating those safe spaces and i think one of those ways might be acknowledging and recognizing that we may not be able to yes and it, as much as deep as we want to Right. Like we may, just thinking. Actually, we may never get there yep. simply because of this. And that I feel like is, I mean, it's in some ways a little disheartening, but it's also a reality that I think it makes sense for us to check on in our profession. I totally agree. I wrote down while you were talking, uh, the conversations that people aren't there to have. Right. And so I think our entry into a space, uh, that's going to be true for some people where there are conversations as soon as they see us that they are not going to have. And that, that just to acknowledge that that's true and um, 
and that's okay. I mean, it's not okay, but that, you know, that that's a reality well, for people not, and to really personal. honor that. It's not personal. And I think, you know, it speaks to some of, in our profession, um, of facilitators and trainers and such, when we talk about safe spaces, that there's a certain privilege that gets overlooked in, you know, safe mm-hmm. for who, and then how often safety and comfort get conflated yes. together. So I think it's just really important to recognize, or, you know, we talk about being authentic and vulnerable and that easy for us to say as privileged folks um, that don't have frequently just don't have as much to risk, you know, and there's also a, there's a, whiteness aspect to what it means to be safe and vulnerable and, Mm -hmm. you know, appropriately or acceptably vulnerable or to do it right, or Mm -hmm. it just gets so loaded so fast. Um, So I I feel like awareness is the first step of like, wow, you know, haven't done anything but walk in the room. And this is some things that could be true. And to your point, it's not true for everybody all the time in all situations, but just to have, I think, more nuanced awareness around all of the complexities at play, given the positionalities in the room. Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, one of the things that that's coming up for me as you're talking is I'm thinking about, um, I'm thinking about some things I've heard Resma Menachem say, mm-hmm. um, about, um, our, about hypervigilance. Cause I think it's one of the things that can happen when we start exploring this stuff is we can get into kind of like a, an, Oh crap. Like I can't even move like Mm -hmm. anything I do is going to cause a problem. And one of the things I've heard Resma say is that, well, first of all, one of the things I've heard him say is like, yeah, it's going to cause a problem, which is why we need to do affinity work. And, you know, we need to have like caucus spaces and POC caucus spaces and actually do our work in, in, areas where we're going to be able to wrestle with these questions without harming others. But one of the other things I've heard him talk about is um, our need to develop the capacities to be in this space and to, um, to not run away from it, essentially, you know, to recognize that we're like, yeah, we're going to, we're causing harm. We're going to stay present to it. Um, and then, but to do that in a way that's actually grounded in the body, because mm-hmm. when we don't ground all of this work into the body, we actually become hypervigilant. And I don't mean hypervigilant in the way of somebody who's like got PTSD or some other traumatic, I mean like the, the kind of hypervigilism that can come up around race, where all of a sudden we're kind of policing our every word, we're policing, we're, we're editing ourselves to a T because we get so, so afraid. Yeah if we ground ourselves in our bodies and we actually, we actually are doing the work of, of making this a somatic practice and, and tracking what we talked about in the first episode, a little bit about tracking our bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to be better at, you know, being in the space, making the mistakes like, and, and continuing to move forward in a way that allows us to, to repair and actually do the disruption we're, we're seeking. Yeah. So, I so relate. I mean, I, I spend time on a regular basis in still the, the paralysis place, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, when we're in places uh, that are, you know, mixed spaces, people of all sorts of different positionalities. And 
um, yeah, I do. I do get kind of stuck there still. And it Mm -hmm. does really help me to know that, you know, I can catch what's happening in my body better or just stay there or, you know, know, sometimes know that there's nothing to do to say like, wow, and I'm, I'm stuck here or I don't know what to say in this moment, but it feels like something needs to be said or something happened here or something shifted in my body or I feel uncomfortable. Um, so I definitely, definitely feel like that's really helped me, you know, increasing our, my ability to be uncomfortable and also to recognize, you know, defenses, you know, even confusion is a defense mm-hmm. or, you know, that's the first one that came to mind, but that's been really helpful for me. Mm. Yeah. In case you're wondering if I'm thinking, I'm, I'm thinking and not thinking at the same time and sort of feeling into, yeah, just how this, I mean, it's one thing, I think I've been speaking as a participant often, right? So I was just kind of pondering mm. like, okay, so what happens when, you know, I'm the facilitator in the room and I, I start to notice, you know, things that are happening or maybe someone's having trouble getting heard, mm-hmm. you know, because of their positionality. Um, or, you know, I was in a, an engagement not too long ago where um, an Asian American woman, you know, said something and it was interesting. This was post post the conversation that happened in the you know, in the facilitative client space and the practitioners were talking and it was interesting to have other white bodied people dismiss her really quickly and dismiss her concern. And, you know, just kind of sitting there thinking as my heart was pounding out of my chest, it's like, I'm going to have to say something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so even in a, in a room full of white bodied people, it's still, it still is edgy to bring up conversations about, about race and, not know what was going to happen from there, but to need to say it. In some ways it's even edgier. Um, I think it can be anyways. I, I, I've found for myself and part of that, I think is has to do with the fact that we're not supposed to talk about it, right? Yeah. We're not supposed to talk about race. Um, and I know that I found like there's, you know, a couple communities that you and I are part of where this has come up on, you know, on occasion. And usually when it does, it's met with like a, a very different kind of silence. Like it's a different kind of silence than the kind of silence that's just, I'm thinking. Um, right. And, you know, I think that, that that speaks a lot to, you know, the conditioning that, that we've all been through around what we are, we are, are supposed to do and what we're not supposed to do. Um, and these conversations definitely rank into the, what we're not supposed to do place um for sure you know and you know i think one of the the things that's made it possible for me to engage more on this is is the fact that we've had some caucus space to do this to do this in you know and it makes makes it feel a little bit uh feel a little bit more open to being a little bit more public about these conversations and about um you know the uh the desire to do them in a, in a more mixed space. Yeah. Well, going public, we are. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> we sure, sure are going for it here. Um, yeah. But, you know, I think 
than not talking about it. I think you're talking more specifically about, you know, just race and white folks in general, but uh, in our field of organization Mm -hmm. development and leadership development, I think there's a, you know, we can make that, well, that's what the, that's DEI work, (laughs) you know? Uh, And so we can, we can uh, defer. And in, and in many cases that is absolutely the right move to do, you know, that there are places and times where we are not the ones to be doing the thing or saying the thing or, or whatever it might be. So I don't mean to say that, but also I think it's let us off the hook a little bit. Um, And so I think why I want to do this podcast and, you know, I even wrote up, a paper, an article with Beth Applegate yeah. on this. And, you know, in a field that talks about use of self and self as instrument, I think really knowing where, you know, drawing on a good old favorite our Johari window, you know, our blind spots and our unknown places. I mean, I know, I know I can do it from how I control a room, you know, and who I, who I give more airtime or who I support or don't support. Um, you know, I think about this when you and I are coming into a space and designing any number of things, like a whole series of workshops around culture change. And we're thinking about who's included and not included. And, you know, I now track differently the way we think about inclusion, or if people start talking about the naysayers or the troublemakers or the, you know, those, I just become interested now in what is their positionality of the person who's saying it, of the person that's being talked about, what is my positionality to all of the above people? Yep. Um, and just where am I being complicit in power staying close in or just, just all those things. So it's hard for me. I keep feeling this pressure to say something really specific for mm-hmm. uh, the two people that are listening, but I, um, but it, it starts out for me with a, a wider, critical analysis lens, I guess, like, what are all the things I should be thinking about? There's now way more variables in my practitioner awareness, I guess, is that's where it starts. So it's very cognitive. Um, yeah, I don't know what you would yeah. say into that, like how you're experiencing well, your the th- work I, differently. Well, what I would say is the first of all, is the first place I think I, I got this in a way that felt more, more than cognitive that felt like it landed in my body was when I heard Patrice Palmer in at the beginning of their talk, their Ted talk. Oh yes. Um, right. So good. Um, and Patrice Palmer um, teaches at my alma mater, actually Colorado state university. And I believe is the head of DEI for new Belgian brewery. I'm not sure if that's still true, but like um, they were at one point uh, and their, their Ted talk, which I can't remember the title of it, but we'll pull that up. Um, put it in the show notes. Um, one of the things they say at the beginning of it was there's a difference between you are welcome here and I had you in mind. And that, that really landed in me because I feel like there's been an enormous amount of um, what I've, what I've been in, in most of my life and career and is, is the idea of you're welcome here. Everyone is welcome here. Your, your pain is welcome here. Your, lived experience is welcome here. You're, you know, everything is welcome here, but the idea that, that, that that's not enough, right. And that's not enough to create safety. That's not enough to create trust. That's not enough to create, 
you know, an environment in which we can actually have the conversation that needs to be had. Um, that had never really occurred to me until I heard them say that. And it landed in me in a way that was like, okay, what does it mean for me to have as many positionalities in mind as possible when designing an engagement? Mm-hmm. What does it mean to, to recognize that there's going to be a cultural aspect of who talks to whom, you know, of who feels comfortable, you know, hearing somebody else's story, who's capable of hearing somebody else's story, coming back to another holistic resistance question of like, who can hear you? Right. And who can you hear? And who can you hear? Right. Yeah. And I hear, and what am I, what are my, um, yeah, what are the different lenses that I have access to, you know, and that's, that's another component to this, right. Is recognizing. And I think this is part of, you know, part of recognizing in this work is, I think part of disrupting our practice is sometimes recognizing that we need to get into rooms with other kinds of facilitators we've never been in the room with. Yep. You know, and learn from learn from them and get schooled in some ways and get <laughs> totally. you know um, deeply deserved. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and but like that idea is you know in the Johari window, I like you bringing that in because it it helps to you know it always helps me to think about those different quadrants. But like, there's so much in the unknown unknown. Yeah. Um, and especially for those of us in that have positionalities that have not been in, in struggle, you know, have not had to fight for being heard or being seen or being given access or getting the resources or whatever, you know, as a cis white hetero Judeo Christian (laughs) male upper middle class, you know, like middle class, you know, like they're like the, the list goes on and on and on for my positionality. And it's like, there's so little, that the, the road was so, so paved. It doesn't make, obviously life's had its challenges, you know, et cetera. And I, I want to be clear about that. I'm not, neither of us are saying that this means that um, life is just easy for everybody of certain positionalities, but it's certainly made easier. And so, you know, to be able to, to be in those questions is I think just such a critical component to doing, to doing this work these days. Um, and I can't imagine not being in these questions at this point. Yeah, I so agree. And I think that's, I find myself looking uh, at our notes about reflection questions and how much of our, our learning and unlearning and being with um, in holistic resistances and their facilitator training and everything they do really is questions. Right. And being with questions, all sorts of questions, you know, questions that we'll be in conversation about for 10 years, as Aaron likes to say. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I find myself thinking maybe as a little moment here, Greg, as maybe as we kind of wind down is Mm -hmm. to read some of these questions aloud um, with an invitation to people to just Notice how you feel in your body or in your nervous system as we read these questions, like as a starting point. Um, And maybe we can even, I don't know if we demo this, Greg, but like so much, I get so much out of noticing what happens in my body and my mind and my heart, even when I just hear questions that are pretty like edgy and deep and invite me into unknown places. 
Um, what do you think? Should we? I think we'd let's, I, I, I know I did this last time too, like kind of pushing the sessioning down the road, but a little yes. bit, but let's, let's actually focus on sessioning soon and, and okay. um, do that then. Okay. But I like the idea of, of, of leaving some folks with some questions to actually like take a moment, feel your body and feel, notice how it lands in your body. Yeah. And I think the questions here are related to positionality in terms of asking us to, you know, feel into our relationship with control and power. Hmm. Uh, and I think those are the, and discomfort. Um, yeah. So I can read these. Yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. And just invite people to, you know, slow down a, a bit and even close your eyes if that feels comfortable and just notice what you feel in your body or your first thoughts, right? Your reactions and where you go. So here they go. So consider how you control a room. Consider the power you have in your role as a facilitator, trainer, or coach. How do you feel when you have that control? or that seat of the facilitator? What makes you feel like you have lost control? What does it feel like when you have lost control? What do you do to get control back? What do you do to avoid feeling uncomfortable? What makes you uncomfortable when you're in that seat of a facilitator or consultant or trainer? What hurt or feelings do you try to avoid when you're in the front of the room there? So there are some questions to sit with. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Met those, some of those questions a few times and I'm like, oh, oh, I don't want to talk about control. <laughs> but we were just talking about that, Greg, weren't we? I was at a, Greg and I were at a conference and we definitely did not have control. And I was just like, wow, boy, I like control. Control is comfortable. Like, and I was thinking about my capacity, like my ability to hold kind of discomfort and squirreliness and challenge. And it's like, I think there might be some correlation between capacity and control. And I do not want to admit that. <laughs> so, but it was, it was good, you know, mm. it was good to feel in my body, like, oh, this is what this feels like for me and imagining what it would feel like for others to, you know, not have control in situations where things are directly, you know, kind of about you. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to, uh, I have a little note there about the acknowledgement, you know, of how quickly when we get into questions like this around our positionality kind of end up in our trauma material. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you wanted to speak a bit about that just because trauma, I think, brings up all sorts of things. And so what do we mean by that in this case? Do you want to oh, take a crack at that? Yeah, I mean, I could speak a little bit. I think the um, from if I'm hearing your question correctly, mm -hmm. um, what I'm what I would say is, first of all, um, you know, we're talking about lowercase t trauma, not uppercase t trauma necessarily. So, you know, obviously, 
um, there are very significant traumas that people have in their lives um, from, you know, violence to, uh, to physical accidents and, and that sort of thing that, you know, that is um, not necessarily encountered or experienced by everybody. That said, um, we all have certain kinds of trauma that we experience over the course of a lifetime um, that happened in our families and in our parental relationships um, often usually where it starts um, mm -hmm. all the way out into the next levels of community and schooling and, you know, our friends groups and our religious groups and other parts of community where we, you know, we're, and there's all kinds of layers to this, but we all have those. And there's, there's individually unique trauma stories mm -hmm. that um, we all have. And then there's, then there's the ones that are kind of more commonly held, um, that's one of the things I love about Resma's work, Resma Menachem's work. Um, it, he outlines, I think, so well in my grandmother's hands, right? The the ways in which our different, you know, racial positionalities have experienced racialized trauma. Um, found that I've found that to be incredibly useful. But then, like the question of like, how does our individual story show up in intersection with those condition? You know, those those more. Um, uh, generalized or universal stories, I think is probably part of what you're pointing to. And I think it's, it's important to consider it and, and to recognize that sometimes I think in this work, and I know this, I've had this experience where I've bumped up against my own material, my own trauma material or my own, you know, wounding material in ways that are like, Oh, that's more than just this conversation. <laughs> something I need to take to my therapist. You know, that's something right. that I actually need to work through. Um, and that's not an uncommon thing. And I think it is something we should probably talk about this at some point is what does it mean to, you know, kind of have a trauma informed lens yes. when, we're, um, when we're in these holding spaces, especially um, in our, in our industry. Yeah. I think that's really important. Uh, there's something I was going to say and now I forgot. Oh, well, it'll come back, but I think that's just, just our, Oh, that's what it was, a use of self and self as instrument, right? Those terms that, um, you know, we really value and are important part, I think, of being in any any helping profession. Um, Peter Block would say, don't say you're helping. But anyway, that's a different podcast. Uh, <laughs> but I think, yeah, just back to that, like noticing where our own personal stories, you know, of control and discomfort and all that kind of stuff. Just, it's such a intersection to me yeah. uh, for us as practitioners in the use of self and self as instrument is to really, you know, dig deep and, and figure out what's happening in us around issues of race and oppression and marginalization and yeah, be aware of those. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, <sighs> And I think, you know, I think we, we put in our notes, I don't know if we said anywhere here, but this is like a part one, cause there's so much to explore here. And I, I would actually love to, um, to have this topic, revisit this topic with, um, with a guest in the future. I definitely have some people in mind. I'm sure you do as well. Yeah, uh, me too. Definitely. Um, and I think to say here, you know, we are striving to be in accountability to all sorts of different folks, um, as we, keep learning to disrupt our practice and disrupt our own stuff inside of us. 
Absolutely. Yeah. So we, we are, um, we are, you know, in relationship with folks for sure and open to feedback. Yes. Um, and also recognize, you know, for, especially for those of uh, more marginalized positionalities, the labor it takes to give that feedback. So we are incredibly grateful when it does happen. So. Yeah. Thank you um, for saying that and naming that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, so should we do a little brief checkout here? Uh, sure. Yeah. That sounds great. Do you have a checkout question? Uh, no, I guess I'm, I'm finding myself like, how am I feeling now mm. 40 minutes into this conversation? Mm. Um, I'm feeling uh, there's kind of like two things going on. There's sort of the new to podcasting experience. I don't feel quite so in a pod. I don't know. I just feel more comfortable. So that feels good. I'm curious. Uh how people might be experiencing that. And then just feeling a little bit of like, I don't know, vulnerability or self-consciousness about like, oh crap, we just talked about positionality and I feel like I just barely have a grasp of that. So mm. like, who was I to say any of that stuff? But I, I, I hope that it was helpful or mm. useful. Yeah, I appreciate so that. So how about Shannon. you? What are you? How are you feeling here at this wrap-up point? Well, I'm feeling energized. I really enjoyed this conversation. And um, yeah, lots of curiosity, I suppose, mm -hmm. um, about how it could land out in the world and trying to to disrupt that in myself by letting it go and yeah. um, trusting that the world will uh, let us know how useful or <laughs> it sure will. this is. So <laughs> yes. Um, but feeling grateful for, for you and for anyone who stumbled upon this and is listening and looking forward to our next conversation. Yeah. Grateful to all of our teachers, mentors, friends in this space. Y'all know who you are. Indeed. So. Absolutely. All right. And, next week. Uh, next week. We'll, we'll talk then. Sounds good. All right. All right. Bye everybody. Bye.